solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. Uh, We're doing chapter 15, the Quidditch final. So a little background here before we get into the episode. I've been away (laughs) the last month and a half uh, in South America. We have been posting episodes, obviously, every week on Saturday, every Saturday morning. Uh, thank you to Elizabeth, who is actually on the episode today. Hello, everyone. And Anna for kind of holding things down on the Twitter and Instagram part of it. I really appreciate that. Uh, the help has been amazing. I've been editing away in South America trying to get some of these episodes out for all of you, so I hope you enjoyed them. I do have a couple of shout-outs from our social media. We've gotten a lot more engagement and a lot more interaction, which we are also very thankful for. Oh, it's so much fun when you guys respond, so thank you for that. It's really cool. So uh, just a couple of quick shout-outs. Jenny Conway, at Jenny Conway, uh, J-E-N-N-I Conway, uh, listens to us while at work. Uh, She's kind of caught up on all the podcasts, so we really appreciate that. Uh, The listens and just the feedback is really appreciated, so thank you, Jenny. Uh, we have H&H Drinks on our Instagram. H&H stands for Hallows and Horcruxes. Go oh, check them fine. out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, They're a cocktail, uh, Harry Potter cocktail blog. So check them out on Instagram. Uh, really cool. Um, they're also reading Prisoner of Azkaban as we're going through it. So it's kind of meshed really well with their reading schedule. Perfect so time. they've liked what we've done so far. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, really cool. Uh, their drinks look awesome. We will try a couple and we'll give you a <laughs> shout out. Next time we have Anna on, we'll, we'll probably <laughs> try one of those cocktails. Also, uh, Jamie McDonald at Jamie M-A-5923-0716. A lot of numbers. It, but yeah, j- just uh, following us on Twitter, likes what Elizabeth's posting mostly on Twitter. My very random thoughts, pretty much. So thank you yeah. for, uh, for liking those. Yeah, so uh, thank you for kind of following us on Twitter and, and kind of giving us some feedback. We really appreciate it. Give us some feedback, and we'll shout you out here on the podcast. We we really appreciate everything uh, that you guys are doing for us. Also, on my travels, I hiked to Machu Picchu. <laughs> and on my hike, uh, I met this cool family. They were doing the hike with me, a uh, family of five from D.C. And really quick, I wanted to really shout out Alice and Liam, who spent hours of this hike with me talking Harry Potter. Uh, I found out, yeah, we found out that Alice and Liam um, like Harry Potter, read Harry Potter, and they had all of the questions for me when they found out (laughs) I did this podcast. Um, I know uh, Alice uh, really likes books one through four. Yeah. Not as big of a fan as books five to seven. Oh, Alice, I love five. I know. That's what I told her. I'm like, I know. I loved five as well. I'll let her... she can interact with our, our podcast a little bit more, and we'll let her explain a lot of that. But um, I know she's a big fan of Hermione. Hmm. Both Liam and Alice disagreed. Uh, with you? Yeah, they disagreed with me <laughs> about my Trelawney takes, which, folks, you're going to get a lot more of them here and in the next chapter. So be prepared. 
So I'm sorry, Allison <laughs> Liam, you're going to get more of it. Uh, but it was fun uh, talking to Harry Potter with you guys, and I hope you can interact with us going forward and, and kind of share a lot more of your thoughts, because uh, we'd love to kind of feature you guys a little bit more. Yeah. Thanks so, for adopting Dan into your family, keeping him safe <laughs> on the travels. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, guys. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, before we get into the actual chapter, we still have one more thing. Uh, Elizabeth put a poll up on Twitter recently because there's interesting news out right we had a little breaking news uh so the three major quidditch organizations Mm -hmm. uh came together and decided that they are going to name change uh rebrand if you will yeah uh based on some some things that have been coming out with jk rowling they kind of wanted to move away yeah from all of that uh distraction so quidditch is now officially known as what quad ball Which refers to the four balls that are used in Quidditch. The Snitch, the Quaffle, and the Two Bludgers. Which makes sense. And I like the fact that they still kept the cue of it. I I don't know. That's something about it makes it seem less drastic of a change. Supposedly they came to it because they put out a survey and most of their fan base reacted positively to this. To Quad Ball. To Quad Ball. So that's what they went with. Hmm. But our poll on Twitter, uh, which is great, and we had a lot of interaction with it, which was also cool, um, they said, the people, the Twitter people, said 12% love it, badly needed. 52% said they loathe it, I hate change. (laughs) And 36% said, meh, it's whatever. Uh, A couple of comments. uh, V underscore, I'm going to butcher this name, I apologize, Parodian, P-A-R-O-D-I-A-N, said it will always be uh, Quidditch because it's J.K. Rowling's game. Yeah. And at know-it-all underscore Myony said it's still Quidditch. Yeah. It's one of those interesting things because, yeah, I could see the perspective of, well, she invented the game, so it should stay named what she named it. But I also understand the desire to change it just because of the politics going on with J.K. Rowling's opinions. And if you want people to still play it, but they feel like they're not being um, acknowledged by Rowling's comments as individuals, uh, changing the name will definitely give them a way to still feel included. So where do you eventually fall on your? Own I voted meh, whatever. <laughs> I actually also voted voted for meh, it's whatever. <laughs> and the reason is, I, I respect the reasons for the change. Yeah, obviously. Uh, that being said, I I just don't see how you can watch that game being played and not think Quidditch. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So I fall somewhere in the middle. I understand the need, but at the same time, I don't really care all that much. So it. it uh, I don't know. It's getting into the nitty gritty of it, but this is a perfect chapter for that because the timing worked out really well. <laughs> chapter fifteen, the Quidditch final, is the chapter that we're discussing today. Yeah. And uh, shocking, there's a lot of Quidditch to be talked about, which um, is kind of bad because sports and me, not exactly. Sports are not Elizabeth's they're, thing. They're not my forte. Uh, if you were have been listening to some of our recent episodes, the Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw match, Jen and I, Jen and I are much more sports people, and we kind of got into the nitty gritty oh, yeah, of, of Quidditch uh, strategy, which was good. So uh, we're going to start the chapter uh, with, I, I think we both had this note right off the bat, is the illustration of Hagrid's letter that yeah. he wrote to Hermione. Uh, we both took note of it, 
for essentially the same reason. The illustration of it is done with the the splotches of teardrops mm-hmm. on the letter. And I'm just fascinated by the, the, the actual artwork of it because it's really well done in the book. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely adds power to the fact that these were tears. Just reading, oh, yeah, there's it's very tears on it. Seeing it makes it feel like you got the letter yourself. Yeah, it's, re- it's very realistic. So it kind of hits at a different level. I, I think it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Also, I love the fact that I just listened to your episode with Jen today, so it's fresh in my brain, but how Hagrid wrote this letter specifically to Hermione, not all three of them. Like, it, it's Hermione who put the most work into this trial. She's the one who's been there for him with that. So, of course, he sent it to her. Um, Jen was right. It was nice of Hermione to um, show the letter to Harry and Ron, but, like, this was meant for her and Hermione's not going to judge because he's been crying no I, well I think Hagrid's very open with his emotions anyway yeah, which is great I love it but, but oh, it's so sad about uh, no that. It, it Hermione's definitely putting in a lot of time which Hagrid recognizes and is like hey you've done a lot you're already doing a lot mm-hmm. um, but he's definitely grateful for all the effort it's obviously bad news yeah um, so a buckbeak is he's getting an appeal. Yeah, but... But it's a pretty foregone conclusion to what that appeal is going to be. I like how Hagrid goes, Beaky enjoyed London. (laughs) How exactly did this hippogriff enjoy London? Where was this hippogriff stored in London? I could totally see it. Like, at the zoo? Like, randomly? Like, did they just have an offshoot? Well, where where would he have gone? Like, the Ministry of Magic, right? Yeah, like, downtown London. Yeah, I could see him just, like... Hanging out well, by the dumpsters did he enjoy or something. Some, like, did he enjoy some room at the ministry? Like some courtroom? Yeah, maybe there's a room in the ministry that like... I don't understand how Beaky be... really enjoyed London. I get Hagrid's a glass half, glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> but I'm just wondering... He was like, sightseeing, you know. I, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> but this is a chance for Hermione and Ron to make up. Yeah. Uh, which you kind of see the beginnings of that taking place. Well, I think what really makes the breaking point for that is like, I mean, Ron is, is says, you know, I'll help this time, which was the original promise, of course. But her, him saying like, I'll help makes Hermione just completely break down in tears and hug him and just like you know thank well, you and i'm so sorry she and finally like, says i'm sorry about scabbers right which then ron's like yeah you know i mean he was old whatever but it's yeah, a conversation it's, that needed to happen several chapters ago yes but you know they're both stubborn but it, it's nice that this i mean tragedy brings people together and that's exactly what this is doing buckbeak is is rekindling the friendship or at least making them realize we need to move on it's time so, I don't know. Her, Hermione breaking down in tears, though. I'm just like, oh, I totally understand, girl. I get it. She uh, She's featured a lot in this chapter mm-hmm. in a bunch of different ways. And you can see she's at a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's at her top most stressed level. Uh, oh, God, yeah. And for a, variety, for a variety of reasons. You have, obviously, the Hagrid news that came at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But we're getting... Nearer and nearer to the end of the semester. And we know from previous books how she studies for her finals. Yes. She goes overboard. We have so many subjects to study for. her. And, and now we have, uh, you know, these exams coming up and we know her class schedule. Mm-hmm. 
That's a lot. Yeah. But before we get into uh, one of Hermione's bigger breaking points during the whole thing, <laughs> you get a you get a sense of it when she overhears Malfoy kind of uh, picking F. He's kind of picking on the whole uh, Buckbeak thing. Yeah. I mean, Malfoy is just being so cold-hearted. He's m mocking Hagrid for crying because his pet is going to be executed. And he's just like, oh, look at him blubber. The, the making fun of Hagrid, I'm not surprised at. That's Malfoy's wheelhouse. That's what he does. Right. The thing that bothers me is the nonchalantness of him being the reason that this magnificent creature is about to be put to death. Right. Uh, that bothers me a little bit. Because well, he has great satisfaction of the fact that he made this happen. Like, he couldn't get Hagrid necessarily fired, but this will hurt Hagrid. So, for him, this is like, I'm gonna, know. I'll give him the benefit of the, of the doubt and just say it's more of an attack on Hagrid mm -hmm. than trying to get a wondrous creature killed. Oh, I, yeah, I don't think... You know what I mean? I don't think it's like, oh, I want the animal to... Anyway, Hermione overhears this, and... She has the perfect reaction. Harry and Ron, I believe, go to attack Malfoy first, and Hermione... Yeah, they make furious moves towards Malfoy, but she got there first. Smack! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she slaps Malfoy... Which stuns him, stuns everybody. Stuns everybody, yeah. Stuns... Nobody knows, like, everyone's, like, like frozen. <laughs> Crab and, she... and Goyle are like, what, what do we do here? Right. And then she makes a move for her wand. Right. Which... Malfoy knows. Malfoy was surprised by the slap. Right. Scared by the wand right. movement. <laughs> like, I mean, he's not an idiot. He knows Hermione's the best in the class. She can come at him with anything. Well, that, plus, I think what really scares him is her, that's not Hermione. Hermione is not... If Ron or Harry take a swing at him, okay, that's par for the course, right? right. Hermione take it... That's not her personality. Yeah, it's out of character. So, it's... Because... She is pushed to her limit right now. She's so stressed that sure. like there's there's no filter, there's no you know monitoring of her own behavior. It's just reacting. There's a predictability there. If you make Harry mad, he might take a swing at you. Predictable. Mm -hmm. If Ron you make even more so. <laughs> sure. If you make Hermione mad, you genuinely don't know how what she's gonna do or how she's gonna react because you haven't seen that before yet. Right. You know, and obviously, like you were saying, she's obviously very talented, very smart. You don't know what's coming next, which well, I think is more of the fear. Also, I mean, like I identify with this because I've been very, very stressed lately. And I know when I'm tired and stressed and overwhelmed and anxious and all that stuff, my personality is not where I normally am. And sometimes I, if I'm pushed to that limit, I will snap as well. And for Hermione to hear, you know, Malfoy say, like, oh, he's so pathetic. He's supposed to be our teacher and all that. Like, that is her friend who she has seen is emotional and is desperate for her well, help. But that is... Everybody has a breaking point. And, and everybody knows that, hey, no matter how calm and cool and collected you are, if you're stressed and anxious... 
your breaking point can come a little quicker yeah. <laughs> than, than normal. <laughs> and you might be pushed to do something that you might not normally do. Yeah. And, you know, that happens to everybody. And yeah. here we're seeing it with Hermione. And we haven't even hit the pinnacle yet. No. Which, she's just having a day. Uh, she's, she's having a moment. And the moment gets a little bit worse when she goes to Trelawney's divination class. Which, to Trelawney's credit, I mean, Hermione's already coming in with the mood. Ron and Harry are both still flabbergasted. Oh, Trelawney's walking into a buzzsaw right now. Yes, and I know what that's like. I mean, you can recognize when students come in, sometimes you can just tell they are having a day. And you either, depending on the kid, you leave them alone or you pull them into the hallway of like, you know, are you okay? Do you need to take a step out? Like, what's going on? But Trelawney's not paying attention to that. Maybe because she just expects Hermione to be as she always is, as the student who's going to try to pay attention. But Hermione starts off kind of snickering. Um, you know, Trelawney says how the fates have told her that they need to look at crystal balls since the exams will have them. And she's like... What a great prediction. You're the one who makes the exam, so of course we're going to have crystal ball study on it. Like, I, I took that as... It's a very... I think it's a very tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Trelawney was being 100% serious with that. I don't and I think, I think Hermione took that to a level 10 real quick. <laughs> It's like, okay, that's something to, like, whatever. I would buy that if she's ever really been tongue-in-cheek before. And I don't know if any comments she's made in the past have indicated to me that she's got that kind of sense of humor. Keep in mind, we're also reading this. From Harry's perspective. From Harry's a student's perspective, <laughs> who doesn't totally agree with Hermione, but also doesn't disagree with Hermione either. Right. And we're seeing it essentially from the kid's point of view. Right. But there are ways to tell if, like, someone's I'm, being serious and I'm joking around. I'm sure a student has gone home to a mom or dad of yours before and said, <laughs> Elizabeth said this. Well, and they're like, whoa, 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 that's way out think, of context. They all think I'm this, like, super morbid, creepy person. Hello to all my previous students. I know I actually am, but... No, I, I'm sure I you've think... said something <laughs> intending one thing and a student's gone home and been like, oh my gosh, she said this. Yeah. It happens. It does. We're getting this through, and we've talked about it before, but we're getting this through the lens right. of the students. But regardless, I mean, Hermione's not wrong. She does put crystal ball gazing. If she's saying it's going to be on the exam, well, you're the one who writes the exam. What a prediction. I mean, she's right. <laughs> But no, anyway, the, the thing gets, it just evolves more and more and more throughout the class. Well, because like Trelawney, I mean, to her credit, like when when Hermione makes that comment, Trelawney, even if she heard it or not, we don't necessarily know. She ignores it. She's picking her battles. And that's an important thing to do as a teacher. You pick your battles. But, but it, she's not the only one that may or may not have heard this. Other students are hearing this, and then it's like an avalanche. Like, right. one thing drops, and then another thing drops, right. and then suddenly you lose control of the entire classroom. Right. So, obviously, Harry and Ron are right next to uh, Hermione during this entire class. Well, of course, they're sniggering, because it is a funny comment, and it's right. not the kind of thing Hermione usually says. But it's one thing after the other. So, eventually, she comes around, Professor Trelawney comes around and says, hey, do you need help mm -hmm. with the crystal ball? Mm-hmm. 
Ron goes, I don't need help. It's obvious what this means. There's going to be loads of fog tonight. Well, and also he whispers it, so just Harry and Hermione bust out laughing. So if they're on the other side of the room cracking up, of course she's like, okay, you need to stop. Start paying attention and, and trying but to this do is it. But this is the trickle-down effect mm -hmm. of how the class gets so like So Hermione's in the, in the mood of, this is stupid, this is a waste of my time, I could be doing something else. And uh, um, she's making up. She's trying. She's upset because she just missed Flitwick's class. Yeah, she missed cheering because she's charms. overstressed. So now she's taking out that frustration, which is her fault, right? On Trelawney, and of course Trelawney is getting irritated because this is an important lesson. This is the first day of the unit, and she tries to do what she's always done: is go over and be impressive and look at Harry's crystal ball and talk about seeing the Grim. And that is the final straw for her. But here's the thing about that. So the idea of the, the Grimm and the crystal ball, mm -hmm. let's say. She goes over to the crystal ball and sees the Grimm. Everybody assumes that, oh my gosh, Trelawney. And this is maybe a side effect of her making the death prediction right off the bat. Well, because she's done it every That's unit. That's fine. <laughs> but what's to say she's not seeing a large black dog in right. the ball, which tracks because guess what there's a large black dog well, see, that's the everywhere thing, though. like like okay sure maybe there is she could the genuinely grim. see that she bit. might generally see it yes but when you play the same card over and over and over it's getting predictable and for hermione when she's already just been even like, if it's look it hasn't correct. happened yet even if it is a correct prediction Again, the the problem with this subject is you can't know if it was accurate or not until it comes true. And but, that's not until the future. So we should move on from this. <laughs> and here's why. Because I do want to get to this at a later point. Okay. Not in this chapter. Okay. Next week, we're going to talk about this again. The end result is Trelawney does eventually break. Mm -hmm. And... She calls her hopelessly mundane. That, uh, so, that's crossing the line, but you can tell that's because... That, the line has already been crossed by both right, sides. Right, right. So, the reason Trelawney says that, I think from her view, you need to be open-minded mm -hmm. and creative mm -hmm. for divination. You need to have an open, creative mind. To her, Hermione has a very closed-off, bookish, you need to have it literally written in front of you, mind. Right. Whether that's true or not... Doesn't matter. That's what her interpretation of Hermione is. Right. That's where I think you get the word mundane, mm -hmm. uh, which is an interesting word choice. But again, JK. like I mean, there is a moment silence. The whole class is like, "Oh my god!" The teacher just called Hermione sure. mundane. Hermione Granger, mundane. Like you don't do that. <laughs> well, it triggers what Trelawney is trying to say. Is not how it comes across to Hermione. Right. Hermione thinks you're just calling me dull. Right. You're calling me you're, dim. Right. For whatever, you know, however, which way you want to phrase it. So Hermione reacts poorly. She, she ends up dramatically leaving said classroom. Mm hmm. To which uh, I can't remember if it's Parvati or uh, Lavender. Lavender. I think, I think it's Lavender who ends up going, Professor Trelawney, you were right. Right. By around Easter, we'll lose one of our students. You, right. you were correct on another prediction. Right. And Trelawney gives this like wry smile and is just like, you know, 
That's what I do. The inner eye can be a burden, my dear. Like, <laughs> so whether you want to interpret that as a true prediction or not, I mean, it is what it's it is. It's one of the more interesting ones that she made from that first lesson simply because it was so specific. She's not I mean, trying was, to kick was, out a student. No, and, and it wasn't necessarily saying, like, someone is going to be kicked out. It could have been, like... I mean, when she said it, someone will lose one of our numbers forever. It almost sounds like someone's going to die. Right. But this, I mean, it, it seems less, you know, like, just show-off-y or kind of, like, fraudulent than the whole, like, Neville's going to break a teacup and be late to class. This was much farther along in the year and for it to happen and then for someone to remember that it happened um i think that does add a little more credibility to her but of course harry and ron aren't focused on that they're just focused on how hermione is having a day yeah yeah uh ron goes someday hermione's having huh yeah yeah it is and we haven't even gotten like halfway through the chapter yet because it's, it's a long one. It's the Quidditch final, and we haven't even mentioned Quidditch yet. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I'm not a massive sports person, but the tension between the houses, to me, is ridiculous of how they're trying to put each other into the hospital I think league. it's par for the course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're, like, doing all sorts of things to each other, and it's not just the Slytherins. The Gryffindor's doing the same things back, and... Harry now has to have a protection squad kind of a thing just to get to class because everyone's so freaked out about the match. I'm like, I just, I don't get that you, you don't get about it. sports. So coming from someone, <laughs> someone who, who does, you. who works in sports <laughs> and has been involved with sports my entire life, yeah, uh, no, it. this makes sense. You get uh, this I tracks. Just, I just don't. Especially, look, JK's from Scotland. She is used to football for our friends overseas, or soccer for the Americans listening. Mm -hmm. It's intense. It's the world's favorite sport. And you look at the Premier League over in England, those fans are intense. <laughs> and they live or die. And, and here too, yeah. Cubs and Sox fans in Chicago yeah. live or die with their sports teams. The Bears, the Bulls, we live and die with our sports teams. It matters. And just not to me. <laughs> that's fine. But uh, clearly they got a crowd. They said that 200 people were in the crowd supporting Slytherin. Mm -hmm. That's And then the other three quarters of the crowd were for Gryffindor. Yeah, which prior to this we were looking at some math trying to figure out how does that break down. And if you assume 200, all of them are from Slytherin and not just friends of Slytherin. Like students and, let's say, Snape. Yeah. So then, you know, divide by the seven years, it's about 28 students, 29-ish students per class. Which we were discussing. We There's a lot of students we don't ever know. Which... We've estimated before. Mm -hmm. We've been like, there's. we don't hear a lot of Hufflepuffs. We don't hear a lot of Ravenclaws at all. Right. And we hear relatively very few Slytherins even. Right. It's always the ones who just seem to either want to suck up to Harry or to bully Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, tracks because, again, we're getting this through a very specific lens. Right. So there's probably a lot of people that Harry's never actually come into physical contact with at this school. Well, there's there's got to be the ones who are like, oh, famous Harry Potter. Okay, now let's go into Transfiguration. Sure. Like, you know. But anyway, so we took note of the number because it's very rare JK gives us a solid 
defined number. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there is that. The match, though, I, I will say, even though I'm not necessarily a sports fan, Lee's commentary just cracks me up so much. He is so good at it. He's also extraordinarily biased. Oh, yeah. Undeniably. <laughs> but, I mean, McGonagall tries her best to, like, keep him in line. But, I mean, he's just so funny. He, like, talks... Like, sometimes it gets confused about which one's George, which one's Fred. Or, or he talks about, like, how, you know, Wood is a great keeper, tries to reassure the crowd, but then immediately is like, Oh, my God, I can't believe he actually saved that. <laughs> he's just so fun. Yeah, uh, bef- uh, before the match, you know, Harry's hearing about, well, one, Oliver Wood just drills it into his head that they need to win by, uh, they need to be up by 50 before you even get the snitch. Right, because otherwise they won't win the cup. So they drill that into his head. He hears about the last time that Gryffindor won was the legendary, quote-unquote, legendary Charlie Weasley. I wonder how Ron feels about that. And Fred and George. Uh, yeah. they're used to it, because they've heard it from Bill is legendary, but in different ways. Yeah, and but I, I feel legendary. like Fred and George probably are kind of like, eh, whatever, because they have their own legend, but for Ron to hear, like, Percy's yeah, trying to live legendary. Up. Percy's it's trying to live like up to it brother. right now. It's my brother. But Percy's trying to live up to it right now. Yeah. Like, he's he's trying to strive for it right now, but... Yeah, they all are, but it's just interesting to, to have your sibling be described as legendary. That's what he is. Um, I do like how Harry, before the, the night before the match, has that overslept dream. I think we can all identify with that. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I missed my alarm. Oh wait, it's still 3 a.m. I still got like four more hours of sleep. And just the ridiculousness of it. Like them playing on dragons. That didn't make me laugh. And then waking up and being Everybody like, has those dreams. But then when he wakes up, he's like, okay, wait a second. They definitely can't play on dragons. Not allowed in Quidditch. <laughs> Everybody has those dreams. Anyway, so back to the match. Uh, I will recognize Bull and Derek. We get Bull and Derek uh, <laughs> mentions who are Slytherins mm-hmm. playing in this. I eventually was like, I, I kept thinking Derek was a first name. Clearly it's a last name. Yeah. Which is just interesting. And I was just threw me for a loop. But, I was going to say, yeah. Slytherin plays dirty, but... So does Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Yeah, Gryffindor does Gryffindor too. Does like that first one where, you know... Fred threw his beater's club at the back of Flint's head. Like, I just see that. And I'm like, why? I, why would you do that? Hooch is beside herself. Yeah, because there's call so game. many rules being broken. Even McGonagall, though. I mean, like, as she's trying to keep Lee in, in line, eventually she just gives up because she's, she's so worked up, too. She can't help herself. Yeah, so it, it's a very intense back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was reading it, I felt for JK. I know she doesn't love writing Quidditch scenes for this reason particularly. Yeah, it's hard. it's hard they're and hard. it's hard to make interesting. Yeah. She does a good job, don't get me wrong. She does a great job. Well it's but, one of those things that it's you have to see it and having it in words. It's just not the same. It's yeah. And I can imagine for her it's frustrating because it's like she's probably seeing this in her head. Yeah. And what she's writing isn't necessarily well, matching. That, it's hard. Plus also like I mean this is maybe probably why I struggle as much with getting into sports but there's just so much going on on the field or wherever it is being played that it's just like there's so much to look at and she does capture the quickness of it because it's like 
you almost get whiplash reading because yeah. you're like looking from chasers to seekers to yeah. beaters to the goalies to the uh, keepers. Meanwhile, Harry's looking Sorry. around for the snitch. Like, there's just so much going on. So I understand the the frustration of having to write it. Yeah. So. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> uh, Gryffindor does end up winning after a uh, after Harry comes back and catches Malfoy on his firebolt uh, <laughs> and grabs a snitch. Malfoy trying to slow down the firebolt just cracked me up, and and just like how close in the sky they have to be so that their knees are bumping into each other. Like these two hate each other, and yet they're like. Inside each other's personal bubble up in the air. Well, they're because, they're competing. They have to. I know. To. It's just funny to me. It's probably a note they took from Ravenclaw the the match before because if you were watching the Ravenclaw match, that's what Cho's strategy was was True. tail Harry. True. It's like so they probably took a book, you know, took a page out of Ravenclaw's strategy book. But anyway, um, so. Gryffindor won. Gryffindor wins. Wood is happy. Wood is Which happy. Which makes me happy. <laughs> he deserves a win. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is Harry notes that he almost wishes a Dementor was there now. Yeah. Because he's got a happy moment so strong that he thinks he would produce one of the best Patronuses ever made. <laughs> Which is adorable. Uh, so it's so clearly he himself believes that this is a defining moment in his young life. That's a good way of, of making us, the reader, understand just how intense this happiness is. Because, I mean, we know what it takes to create a Patronus. And we know what memories he's tried using before. So for him to say this one, it would, be, it would work. That's, that's pretty happy. Yeah. All right. That's the chapter in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, Shall we go to spoilers? Yes. We're going to take a break, and we are going to come back with some spoiler thoughts right after uh, Hermione's in the movie. She adds a little bit to the punch. <laughs> and you'll hear that line right now. We'll be right back. You! You foul loads of them evil little cockroach! All right. We are back with a spoiler section, and we want to kind of go back a little bit and talk about uh, Harry's eventful night right before the Quidditch final started. And he's having his dreams. But before all that, I, I think it was before all that? I think it was after he woke up from his dream. Ah, he looked yeah. out the window because he's like, oh, it's dawn. It's so early. And he saw Crookshanks go by. And he's like, oh, that cat probably looking for some other thing to That's eat. Right. And then he sees a massive black dog. Whom, since this is the spoilers, we know is... Um, Sirius. Thank you. I always <laughs> say Cyrus. Sorry. Sirius Black. Um, which, and he, I mean, he freaks out and he's like, you know, I don't know. Am I seeing this? Ron, come on. Come over and, like, check to make sure this dog actually exists. Which, by this point, makes total sense. Because he's had several experiences so far with seeing or hearing things that other people don't so it's nice that he's learning like double check that um, am i seeing things like well then he also has a moment of like well it can't be the grim if crookshanks is at least right interacting it can't be an omen if there's like a physical entity seeing it so clearly we know it's the two of them are on the hunt for scabbers aka peter pettigrew um, since clearly Peter has disappeared from the Gryffindor Tower and 
you know, his attempt to get into the tower, um, you know, and attack Ron um, did not work. Which makes me just wonder, like, when you're able to transform into another animal, can you communicate with animals that are just animals? I'm going to say no. Why? <laughs> I just, I, I don't think that's a part of that magic. It's transfiguration. It's not a charm necessarily you're putting on top of it. Mm. I don't even know if that's a charm. It's not one that we've heard of. Right. But I think I know, that's like, a more did, of a charm thing, not a transfiguration. I know thing. he does say later how, like, Crookshanks is the most intelligent animal of its kind that he's met for recognizing that Sirius is not a dog. Like, recognizing that he's a human. But I just wonder, like, how did he convey to this cat that, like, you know, this other creature, it, there's you know, something off with him and, and not, I mean, obviously Crookshanks, if he, if he could, he, she, Crookshanks, he, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If he can recognize that Sirius is human, obviously he, he can recognize that Peter is human as well, but to convey to him that Peter is a bad guy and we need, I need him brought to me. Like, how do you convey that? I think he's just using Crookshanks. Well, okay, first of all. You think if, he's just being like cat chase a rat? Part of it. <laughs> but also, Crookshanks, I think, if he can recognize Sirius mm -hmm. through the guise of this massive black dog, mm -hmm. clearly you should be able to recognize <laughs> the guise of Peter Pettigrew in, like in this rat. Yeah, but how did he convey to him, like, this one is a bad guy and I'm a good guy? If you're giving the cat credit for looking through a disguise, I think animals generally, generally have a sense of, is this person good or is this person bad? You've heard it with dogs, you've heard it with cats, they have mm -hmm. a judge of character almost. They see, like, maybe it's something that related? Maybe, because I'm pretty sure he said later on that Crookshanks is the one who stole all of Neville's passwords from his bedside table. Maybe Sirius is just giving him treats. <laughs> just bribing him? Just straight up bribery. It just seems like such a specific thing to convince a cat, well, to how, communicate to a cat. That's fine, but how does Filch have his connection with Mrs. Norris? <laughs> well, it's a similar thing. It's a, a human communicating with a cat on a somewhat surreal level. Right, which is why I'm just like, I'm so curious of, of how that went down. Because if there is some level of communication that's possible, it makes me wonder, like, why McGonagall doesn't discuss it? Because I would think that would be one of the I'm, reasons to become no, one. No. It's like, I can talk to animals I would, now. I would wholeheartedly dismiss that. Yeah. I think uh, that Animagus is strictly a transfiguration thing. Mm. That, what you're talking about, would be more Flitwick's realm of charms of I some sort. there would be a way to combine the two. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, but I don't think one means both. <laughs> so I would knock down that theory. But I now... It just seems like that being Crookshanks said, goes above and beyond. Well, that being said, Crookshanks was bought... At a magical 
That's true. Creature That's true. shop. And you we saw what truly ma- like Molly's love of the rats playing uh, jump rope with their right. tails. Those were magical creatures. Crookshanks doesn't seem to have any innate quote unquote magical ability that we can see. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that she's not or that he's not. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So this may be part of it. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, he said, like I said, he he said he was the most intelligent creature. Which could also planet. explain Mrs. Norris. But either way. Yeah. I just, in, in my head canon, I, I want them to be BFFs. Having nice little fun conversations. Roaming the grounds. Searching for each other. I think Sirius is just feeding them rats. <laughs> I think that's I think it's straight up simple bribery. <laughs> I don't think there's any like real big trick to it. <laughs> anyway, um, but on in all seriousness, it was an interesting sight for Harry to see. Yeah, the the big black dog that's been essentially stalking him this entire book. Right. Clearly communicating well, and interacting with Well, because he just heard Trelawney once again say, there's the Grim coming closer and closer. And I was like, gosh darn it, there it is again. But is it? Like, it's a nice... Well, those are the those go to the thoughts that I want to get back to. Well, it's, it's, it's just a nice thing for him to be like, okay, I am sane. Yes. Um. So the other thing we kind of wanted to get to is... This is really the last real glimpse of Hogwarts Quidditch that we get for quite a while. Oh, this is the final match. I mean, we don't... we The Triwizard Tournament digs right. into it in Book 4. Right. I mean, Quidditch in Book 4 is just the World Cup. Then Which isn't Hogwarts-based. That's right. a Quidditch it's World Cup. Just professional. And um, then... Uh, in Order of the Phoenix, I mean, we see a little bit. But Umbridge ends it. Right. So we don't really get it in five either that much. Six... I mean, we get, like, we get Quidditch, but Harry not playing Quidditch. Right. So it's not the same. It's not like... Right, you're not in the we've action. Gotten, we've gotten so much Quidditch in this book. <laughs> so much. So much. We got Cedric Diggory and Hufflepuff. He literally played all three other uh, yeah, houses in yeah. this book. We Maybe got the Hufflepuff, got Ravenclaw. Maybe that's writing them. <laughs> Maybe. But we know Half-Blood Prince, I mean, he is captain of the team now, but he's also kind of obsessed with everything Malfoy is doing. We don't get, I guess the point is, we don't get Quidditch to this level in Prisoner of Azkaban ever again. Right. Like, this is the most Quidditch you're ever going to get. Right. This is the most quad ball so, you're ever so going to get. Quidditch is your favorite thing, it's kind of downhill from here. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, there, like you were saying, there are touches and hints and big moments Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know Weasleys are king moments, mm-hmm. uh, but not to the full extent. Well, I mean, the full one depth. of the matches you have them completely leave the match because they go off with Hagrid, you know, into the Forbidden Forest to go after. Yeah, his, yeah. So, there's... so I mean, there's you're not gonna get it to this full depth again. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it's interesting that you kind of luckily. Uh, between, you know, Jen and I, I know Elizabeth's not a big Quidditch sports person, but at least between Jen and I, we got some good Quidditch talk in and, you know, we got to... (laughs) I get more excited about Quidditch when Luna commentates because her commentary is the best. Okay. Luna or Lee? Who you got? Oh, Luna. You just spent... Okay, I love You just spent a whole non-spoiler. I love Lee commentating on everything... 
but Luna is what I would be when I'm watching sports. So I fully appreciate it. You just spent a whole non-spoiler <laughs> talking up Lee and his commentary, and now you're just going to turn on him like that. Yeah, because Luna is, is the pro. Luna is me when it comes to sports. So you got anything else for the spoiler section? I just think one other thing about Quidditch. I mean, Harry later on, when Crumb comes into the picture, he's so obsessed with how Crumb can pull off these moves with such... Elegance is the wrong word, but skill, maybe. But Harry does a lot of cool maneuvers in this match as well <laughs> without necessarily giving himself credit. The only thing I'm going to say to that, in the in the sports world, <laughs> this is the equivalent, they're 13. <laughs> this is the equivalent of, like, high school sports. Yeah. Crumb is young, number one. He's not much older. Right. Two, he's doing against pros. Like, right. These are no, pros, no, I, I adults. Recognize, I recognize that like, Crumb is like professional and better, but I mean, like, it, it they're was all amusing, on firebolts. It was you know? amusing me how, like, you know, Harry noticed the whole Slytherin team forming a V formation to try to attack one of the players, and he sprinted in there and and disrupted it, and his whole like. I don't know, he saw the two Slytherin beaters, I think, try to attack him from both sides and then just dipped down really quickly and they made them smash into each other. Like he had some some good maneuvers. He has moments. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 really good. I'm not saying he can't go pro. <laughs> I'm just saying thirteen year old Quidditch is different than the Quidditch World. Cup. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. All right. Well no, I don't have any other other spoiler thoughts. All right, we'll wrap up a short spoiler section. Um, Mainly because I'm excited for the next chapter. The next chapter is a big one. <laughs> uh, so, especially for, for this podcast, because we know we've opened We're up a whole thing. We're talking about Trelawney again next week, guys. So come on back to that. It's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, you guys have enjoyed this episode. Thank you again to uh, all of uh, the people that we shouted out at the beginning of the episode, Jenny Conway, um, H&H Drinks, Hallows and Horcruxes, Jamie McDonald, Allison Liam, thank you again for all of the time spent on the hike talking Harry Potter. Uh, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I hope you guys continue to listen, and I hope you continue to interact with us on Twitter and Instagram. So keep listening. Thanks again. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.